Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Burgoon campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. Well, good morning, everybody. It is such a great privilege for me to share the message this morning and I, uh, I'm honored that uh, I'm able to share with you in this particular topic and I hope that you have enjoyed our current series so far, Grace Under Pressure. And this morning we will continue to explore and learn more about the life of Joseph. Now as you know that Joseph has had his share of trials and difficulties the moment that he shared his dreams to his brothers, to his parents, and when he shared about it, just everything just went downhill. He was thrown into the pit, sold for 20 shekels of silver, sold to an Ismailite trader, and then maybe perhaps auctioned at an Egyptian market, along with animals and cattle and everything else, maybe precious metals and store or stones or anything like that that traders collect in their journey as they travel. And then they go and end up in this market and they bring all sorts. Animals, everything, and including people. And Joseph was one of them. And our text this morning picks up when Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials and captain of the guards, bought Joseph from this Ismailite trader to be a slave in his household. And our story picks up in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 to 23. Now, it's quite long but I would like us to read it so that we get the context because there are some things that are really important and I don't want you to miss it. Okay, so let's have the passage here. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw him, that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph, the household of Potiphar. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the field, so he was prosperous. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Now then, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught Joseph by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Move on. 
But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants and said, Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then he, she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought here, uh, you brought us, came to me with, to make sport of us or sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prisoners, including the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was there. Then the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Uh, end of story. Wow, that was a long one. I don't know why I got this topic. <laughs> As I was reflect, reflecting on it, I was like, of all the topics in the series, why this one? So let me put a disclaimer here. I might say things that could probably offend some of you. And please forgive me, but I'll try. I'm doing my very best to really just allow the Spirit of God to speak to us this morning. Have you ever heard someone say, like attracts like? Or whatever you think you bring about. Or to get love, you have to give love. Or mind over matter. Or birds of the same feather flock together. Have you ever heard of that saying? Yes. So many of these renowned phrases actually stem from the concepts of the law of attraction. In the 1400s, the root word for attraction in our vocabulary was actually originally a medical term, which means an action or property of drawing out diseased matter into the surface. Isn't that interesting? And in, the six, in, in Latin, it is attractionim, which means drawing together or to draw or to pull together. And in the 1600s, it evolved in our vocabulary that it has become what we call a magnetic forces, quality in a person which draws interest or imagination. In other words, it is a quality or feature that evokes interest, liking, or desire. That's how the word attraction end up in our vocabulary. Now, I remember the very first time I met Janelle in 2001. We were standing in the queue at Hillsong Conference. 15,000 delegates. We spoke for one hour and a half because the queue, you know, you move very slowly <laughs> to get your show bag for the conference. And we turn around and here's Janelle and we started talking for one hour and a half. The conference had finished. For four days, I could not stop thinking about her. Four days. It wasn't long, just four days. 
And I didn't have her number. And so I tried to do a bit of research and scheming and finally I found I got the number. And on the Wednesday of that following week, I gave her a call and asked her for coffee. And what's the worst thing that can happen? <laughs> She'll just say no. And that will be fine if she says no. But she said yes. And 19 years later, here we are. The rest is history. <laughs> Never underestimate what happens in queues. <laughs> and for guys out there, make that call. Ask, have the boldness and the guts to go, I'm just going to call. What's the worst that can happen? The lady will say no, and that's fine, and you just move on. That's what happened. And here we are. Praise God. But you know what? In terms of attraction, the Bible is actually uh, goes even earlier than this. Because in Genesis, we can see the laws of attraction at play in the Garden of Eden. When God created the whole creation and he saw that everything was good, he created the animals, the mountains, everything. And then Adam, of course, and he saw that everything was good. And in Genesis 2, 20b, it says, but as for Adam, there was no helper suitable for him. And so God was like, okay, let me create something. And so pulled out of, ribs, of Adam's ribs and created another human being similar to Adam, but not quite. And after he'd finished, he pre God presented this human being to Adam. And Adam saw and he was speechless. And he just said, wow, man. <laughs> wow, man. That's probably how we got the word woman. That was at my wedding. That was what my grandfather said to, <laughs> said to me. But you see, after this moment of attraction between uh, Adam and Eve, the scripture then followed to say that uh, Adam and Eve uh, became one flesh and they were both naked and yet they felt no shame. And they became one flesh. And this is part of God's plan and desire, design, even right from the beginning in Genesis that we can see. In other words, sex and our sexuality is a special gift from God to be enjoyed and celebrated within the parameters of His will and purpose and design. That is the purpose. However, in the process, there are significant and sometimes life-altering choices that we have to make and if our choices are not governed by our theology our understanding of God and his word there could be consequences that are often painful can bring heartache dysfunction and even brokenness in our lives and the relationships that we have researchers at Cornell University actually said that uh, on average, we make 226.7 decisions every day on food alone. And as you grow older and your level of responsibility increases, then your decision-making every day to an average adult is about 35,000 every day. Wow. And when we make these choices, there are good outcomes and there are bad outcomes. There are consequences that are both good and bad depending on the choice and the path that you take. So in our text this morning, we read that Joseph was confronted in a situation where it involved 
fatal attraction from Mrs. Potiphar. A serious and carefully crafted temptation attempt that could have catastrophic consequences, not just on Joseph, but the ripple effect of that on the nation of Israel. So therefore, Joseph had to make a choice whether or not to give in to this temptation that is fatal attraction in his nature. Let me tell you this morning that even if you are following Jesus or you're following God in your life and wanting to live for the purposes of God, there will be temptations that come your way. None of us are immune to temptation. In fact, if you're following the will of God, if you're living for righteousness, there will be more temptations to come. Why? Because John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. The sole sole intention of the enemy is to kill and to steal and uh, and to destroy you. And so the more you live for righteousness, the more the enemy will attack you. So if we read carefully in this account, we can see that the main character of the story is not really Joseph or Potiphar, or Mrs. Potiphar. Because if we read very carefully, it's not either of them, but rather God is the main character in this story. This is the very first account in Joseph's experience where we can see clearly articulated by the writer that the hand of God was upon Joseph. I know that God was with Joseph in the previous ordeal and experiences that he had in his life, but here it is clearly articulated that the Lord was with Joseph. Therefore, the main character in this story is not really Joseph or Mr. and Mrs. Potiphar. It is God. Amen? Amen. What can we learn from this text? Well, the first lesson that we can learn from this text is that the presence of the Lord makes all the difference. The presence of the Lord makes all the difference. The Lord brought prosperity and success and favor and placed Joseph in a position of trust and power in Potiphar's household. And you see, when the presence of God is there, everything else is different. It changes the situation. It changes the atmosphere. You can have the best music in the world, but if the presence of God is absent, it means nothing. So in our text, we can see that the presence of the Lord was with Joseph, not because Joseph was skillful and had the ability, but it was really the presence of the Lord that brought blessing, favor, prosperity, and success in his life. I think it is significant to note that this rare occurrence of the presence of God or Yahweh in this text is uh, is really happening in the context outside of the promised land. What does that tell us? It's telling us that the presence of the Lord is not confined within the borders of Canaan. The presence of the Lord is not confined to the promised land that he gave to his people. The presence of the Lord can be everywhere. We're talking Egypt here. People that worships the sun, the moon, the stars, the worship of Pharaoh. And yet the very presence of God was there with Joseph. When the presence of God is there, there is blessing, there is favor, there is prosperity and success. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. And that had a ripple effect in the household of Potiphar. The blessing that you and I carry can impact the people 
around us. Yes. Amen? Yes. The, the presence of God that we bring into a situation, into a conversation, into an interaction, can be what will make a big difference in the way we serve the Lord. And so because of that, Potiphar left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. He did not concern himself with anything except for food, which he ate. And according to some scholars, the Egyptians had a different way of eating and their diet and food to the Hebrews. And so, yep, Joseph, you can take care of that. I'll take care of my own. I'll probably just over something and I'll be fine. So don't worry about what I eat, Joseph. I'll be fine because they have a different way of eating. The service to Potiphar was so beneficial to Joseph in that it prepared him for the important task that lay ahead of him. Because if one were to know that such a position of power eventually will take place 13 years in the future, how can one prepare for it? Surely Joseph would have to learn the culture of the Egyptians, the language, the tradition, the interworkings of a nation, and that's exactly what happened to him. And the Lord blessed him. Wasn't that the same promise God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12? When Abraham said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. You see, as a follower of Jesus, we are called, we are blessed to be a blessing. That is one of our calling, that we are called to be a blessing. However, if we are not careful about this blessing thing and this prosperity thing, if we are not careful, there's actually a very fine line because this blessing and this prosperity and this favor have the potential of actually drawing us closer to God or closer to the giver, or it also has the potential of pushing us away and drifting us away closer to the gift. And so we've got to navigate and manage this aspect of blessing and favor and success that the Lord grant each one of us. Because you could either go either way. And we need to be careful how to handle that. Now I remember back in 1994 when I was preparing to go to Canada to do some further studies. Now I come from a family of eight. My dad died when I was 11. And so finances was really hard. And so I did not know where the funds would come from for my fees to pay for my visa and my airfare to go to Canada from the Philippines. I prayed to the Lord about it and he made it very clear in my heart that that was where he was leading me to do. And that's what he wants me to pursue. And I went ahead. Now I had a friend who said to me, Jonathan, make sure that before you leave and fly out, you say goodbye to me. And I go, yep, sure. Two days before I was due to fly out, I rang him. And I said to him, hey, just wondering if I can come and uh, see you in your office. Yeah, that's fine, come. So I went and, and, and we, we chatted. He said goodbye to me. He said, oh, that's fantastic. And make sure you see us again when you come back. I said, yep, that's fine. Shook hands and I left. And as I was walking out of his office, his secretary called my attention and said, hey, Jonathan, Mr. Ong would like to, uh, me to give this to you. It was an envelope, but I thought it was a farewell card with a nice message. When I opened it, it was a check that was enough to pay for my returned airfare to and from the Philippines to Canada. And you know what? I felt so blessed. I was like, wow, God, you are so good. You are so faithful. And you know, when the, God, when the Lord leads you and it is his will, he will provide. 
He will bring blessing. He will bring provision. He will bring prosperity. He will bring success in whatever you do if the Lord is present in your life. That's exactly what happened. And I just felt so blessed. And I truly believe, brothers and sisters, that that if we begin to look back and consider how the presence of the Lord was clearly demonstrated in each of our lives, we can see the faithfulness and the goodness of God, that he was faithful and he is and he is faithful and he will continue to be faithful even in the future. That is the power of the presence of God. What is the second lesson that we can learn from this story, Ed? The purity of Joseph's heart. We can read it in verses 8 to 12. Joseph refused. Joseph ran away. He did not want to abuse the trust of Potiphar that was given to him. And his desire is really to honor himself, honor Potiphar, and honor God in his life. That the purity of Joseph's heart was clearly demonstrated here. Now it is important to understand that Potiphar was an Egyptian officer and captain of the God. Now according to some scholars, these positions are only given to eunuchs. Men who are castrated so that they will have the full service and loyalty to Pharaoh or the king. And yet in this case, Potiphar was married. He was married. High ranking official in the kingdom of Pharaoh. Eunuch, castrated, but was married. Mrs. Potiphar, I'm sure, understands the level of authority that she has because of the master Potiphar, the husband. That he had a level of control and influence over her servants. She was actually entitled to be served and pleased. And it would be safe to assume for Mrs. Potiphar that she can actually ask whatever she wants from the servants and she will get it. Now remember, Joseph was a servant. He had no right to say no to Potiphar, to Mrs. Potiphar. He had no right to say that. And yet, if we actually look at the situation, let's not put all the blame on Mrs. Potiphar, being kind of flirty or whatever it is. Come on. She was married to a castrated man. And she was probably having real physical emotional, sexual needs that are a gift from the Lord because we are all gifted with this. But it's not her sexuality and her passion that was wrong. It was the action that she took. It was the action that she took that was wrong. The way that she handled her own sexuality and her needs, the way that she went about it was wrong. But not the real need and the desire and the feeling that she had. So is it any wonder why she was behaving like that? I don't blame her at all because the feelings and the needs that she had were normal. And yet, when she started to plan and put into action these desires that she had, that was when it went wrong. She spoke to Joseph every day, nonstop, every day. And Joseph, the Bible says, was handsome, Will built in form, probably have six packs. I only have one pack. <laughs> Joseph had six packs, and men's Egyptian slaves at that time actually are half naked. They only have like a fabric or a sash around their shoulder, and then they serve their masters or whatever it is, and they do household duties. And then, of course, every day Joseph comes to the house, half naked, six pack, 
you know, serving, vacuuming, cleaning, or whatever it is that he is doing, telling the servants what to do, exposing himself to Mrs. Potiphar. Of course, Mrs. Potiphar was attracted. And when Potiphar asked Joseph time and time again and say, come to bed with me, she was not asking for some company to keep her warm. She was basically asking Joseph, come, I want to have sex with you. That was the intention. But you see, Joseph, Joseph's response was really telling. The way that he handled the situation. Let me share with you three aspects of Joseph's response. It was very logical and very appropriate answer to the advances of Mrs. Potiphar. The first is connected to the kindness of Potiphar, his master, towards Joseph in an implied way that her unique position should not be violated. Joseph said this, how can I betray my master's trust? He has not withhold everything from me. He has given everything from me except you. How can I do that? How can I break his trust? The second is that Joseph sees God in connection with his own sexual life. That God is actually connected in all areas of his life. And it is significant that sexual promiscuity in his opinion is not only a sin against Potiphar. It is not only a sin against the wife, but it is also a sin against God. Now isn't that interesting that this concept and Joseph's inner awareness of what is right and what is wrong and what is adultery actually happened before the Ten Commandments was given in Exodus 20. Do not commit adultery. We're talking Genesis 39. Where did Joseph get that awareness of what this, this is wrong? Because of his genuine relationship with God. Now we can also see here a great example of Joseph, how he handled his own sexuality and passions and desires. He was single. He could have just given up and said, stuff it. I'll give up my dreams. Here's this beautiful lady. I don't care. And compromised. And the story and the outcome would have been different had Joseph given in. We have other examples in the New Testament. Paul served the Lord wholeheartedly as a single man. Jesus, our Savior, was a single man until the day he died. And he valued women. And the way Joseph looked at Mrs. Potiphar, he valued her. He does not want to violate this person who is the wife of his master. And you see, Jesus, as an example, he had various interactions of different women in the New Testament. Mary Magdalene, that woman with the alabaster perfume poured and broken at his feet. And Jesus sitting there and this woman was wiping uh, his foot with her hair. And then, of course, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And there were so many interactions of Jesus. And yet he remained pure with his sexuality. He remained pure. And Hebrews says to us that we have a high priest that can empathize with us. And he was tempted in every way just like us. And yet he did not sin. The response and the choice that we take makes a big difference. And the third aspect of the way Joseph responded is that Joseph, Joseph's response was so different to the way Adam and Eve responded in the garden. As you can see in Genesis uh, 
It said, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You see, Adam and Eve's response and choice brought the curse of sin to humanity. Genesis 39 verse 9 says, There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you. Isn't that a parallel? Isn't that a similar situation? Everything has been given except you. Everything you can eat except this tree. And yet Joseph's choice and response brought blessing and salvation eventually to the nation of Israel. His choice was significant. What's the third lesson that we can learn from this story? The third lesson that we can learn from this story is that punishment or the prison as punishment was part of the plan of God. Even if Joseph was accused, he was put into jail or went to prison. He could have been given a sentence of death. But God was there. You see, at that time, when there are allegations, accusations of sexual form, especially adultery, the normal punishment for that was death. And in our text, it says here that Potiphar was the captain of the God. The other translation of that, it actually means slaughterer and executioner. And so if that was Potiphar's position, he could have just easily ordered Joseph to be killed. And yet the sovereign hand of God was there again. We can see that instead of doing that, Potiphar chose to put Joseph into prison. That is the sovereign hand of God at play in this situation. First, Joseph was accused to the servants. And then second, she, uh, he was accused to uh, Potiphar and, and made up this beautiful, amazing, incredible story. Flesh it out a bit. Maybe exaggerate it a bit. But maybe there's some level of doubt in Potiphar about the testimony of his wife. And so he decided that instead of killing Joseph, I'll just send him to prison. It is incredible that because it is through this process now that the presence of God was there even in prison and Joseph again found favor and influence within the prisoners and most especially the warden, the prison warden. And our text says in verse 21, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. You know, this word kindness in Greek is he said, which means God's no strings attached covenant loyalty. Don't you just love that? Let me just repeat that. God's no strings attached covenant loyalty is what kindness means. And the equivalent of that in the New Testament is the word agapeo or agape which is the unconditional love of God. And God showed that to Joseph. Finally, it was in this prison that God planned for Joseph to have an appointment with a man who would one day introduce him to Pharaoh and his position of power. But was it easy for him to get there? No. He was thrown into the pit. He was sold as a slave in an Egyptian market. He was thrown into prison. I was accused and thrown into prison. And yet that was the beginning of God's plan unfolding in his life. 
You know, sometimes when we go through sufferings, when we go through trials of different types, it's so easy to get disappointed with God. It's so easy to turn around and say, God, why this? You know, Joseph had every reason to ask God why. And yet, he didn't. He was prepared to embrace it. He was prepared to go through it. And in the same way, with us, let us be prepared and ready to embrace whatever suffering that comes our way because it is part of the plan. It is part of following Jesus. For we are called not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. And so let's not underestimate the lessons that we can learn out of sufferings. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But in Jesus, that's the good news, we have the victory because our Lord and Savior, King of kings, Lord of lords, was victorious over sin and death and temptation. The battle is his and the battle belongs to the Lord. We just need to claim the victory that we have in Jesus. God, Yahweh, was with Joseph. He is the main character in this story. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you that, that we can learn from the experience, Lord, of Joseph and perhaps take away lessons from that. This morning, Father, I pray that you will continue to show us as we face temptation, battles, trials of different kinds. We pray, Lord, that you will give us the inner strength that you have promised, Lord, because you are with us and that the victory is yours. And Lord, we can only do that, and that's only possible in our lives. If your very presence, if your Holy Spirit is with us, and as we live following you, following the purposes that you have for us, we will experience your abiding presence, your blessing, your favor, success, prosperity that you have promised to us, Lord. So help us to surrender today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you. If you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.